0: Step into the world of advertising with FjorgeCast, predicting the most important trends in the advertising industry. Host Tim Barsness dishes on the latest developments within the advertising realm. Tune into the Cast to receive insider tips and advice from experts within the advertising industry. FjorgeCast is your first stop in hearing about the unique opportunities and challenges advertisers face today. Cranberry Radio is proud to present FjorgeCast, with your host, Tim Barsness.
1: Thanks for joining us on FjordCast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of Web and Mobile Development Team Fjord. And today on our show, we will be talking with Larry Minsky from Columbia College. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thanks for having me. So, Larry, tell us a little bit how you got into the education space.
2: It actually grew out of my work in advertising. And um, my first job in advertising was an in-house publisher in the educational arena. So I learned a little bit about uh, education then, but more in the al High division or elementary, high school kind of education. But then, while I was working in advertising, I stumbled into helping run a program that was for people who wanted to get into the creative side of advertising, so copywriting or art direction. We were growing wildly. We had a unique brand of marketing that we did back in the day when most agencies wanted to work on the traditional stuff, and we were considered brand marketing where we solved problems. So we couldn't find enough art directors and copywriters. Within the agency then we ran a program for the people working in um, entry level as well as account executives and others who wanted to transition to the creative side of the business.
1: So it's almost like it came out of necessity to find talent?
2: Yeah, that's what, they couldn't find enough talent. We were doubling in size every year at that point. And uh, so they started training whoever. And there's a lot of people who wanted to get into the uh, creative side and needed a way in. One of the people who was in the, uh, one of the participants in the program was the, the company caterer even.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Um, so. Tell us a little bit more about how you came into uh, Columbia College, then.
2: So I had written a book called "How to Succeed in Advertising When All You Had Is Talent," and had my background working on this program at the agency, and uh, the agency was then sold to Publicis and eliminated, and uh, my position was eliminated, I should say. And uh, you know, on the way out, my boss said. You should get into teaching college. And I said, Yeah, right. And went up and met up with a headhunter who looked at my book and looked at my what I was doing at Columbia and she said, You should teach college. And here's a number over at Columbia College. Why don't you go talk to them? I called up, met with the person. This was for part time teaching as an adjunct while working in advertising. And I pulled out my book and uh, the interviewer said, "You wrote that," and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "When do you want to start?" <laughs> and so um, I started teaching as a part timer while working in agencies. Uh, I switched jobs. I at a place I didn't like. Went off freelance. I had always freelance while I was working full time. And they uh, were at right around that time. They were looking for a practitioner to bring in full time. Asked me if I would like to interview. I did, and went tenure track at that point. And now I have tenure and been here 13 years and for going on 14, and still consulting on the side.
1: So you never thought that you'd be a professor, but it sounds like it's treating you pretty well.
2: Well, I always wanted to teach. At some point, I thought about it. There was a, I had a lot of academics in my family growing up, but yeah, I never thought I'd be a full-time. Um, within
1: academia at this point in my career. It's about the program at Columbia. What uh, What is the advertising program like?
2: Well, we teach the theory based on the reality. So we throw students right into solving problems, creating advertising, working on projects. It's very, very hands-on. Unlike a lot of colleges that are more theoretical based and maybe not even touch on the reality. But you gotta do both, particularly on the creative side where it's a craft. And the more writing you do, the better you get at it. It's
1: as simple as that. Tell me about the impact that um, teaching through reality has on on the program.
2: Well, the students get jobs. Uh, a lot of schools, you have to go and put a portfolio together, particularly for the creative side afterwards, and you have to go to a portfolio school to do that, a two-year or one-year proprietary program traditionally. There are a few associated with um, accredited college, but not many. Here at Columbia, if you work on it, you'll graduate with a portfolio, as well as you know, get your strong liberal arts education, get your grounding in the theory, but also understand the practice. So it's a lot easier to get a job when you get out of here, in addition to having all the other benefits of a college education.
1: So they end up with marketable skills then at the end, not just uh, some theoretical practice? Exactly. Got it. So you're, you, you mentioned your first book. What was the title again?
2: How to Succeed in Advertisement and All You Have is Talent. The first edition of that focused on the careers of 13 top creative directors from around the country. Later. I did a second edition of the book, was working on it when I um, got into academia. The second edition features the careers of 18. So what I did is extended the stories of the original 13 and added five more.
1: How does the uh, average creative director compare to that of uh, Don Draper?
2: I haven't really watched that show, so I can't comment on that.
1: Okay, fair enough. Maybe (laughs) maybe for the best. Can you share with us what the day-to-day of a typical creative director looks like?
2: I don't think there is a typical day-to-day, which is one of the things that makes advertising so exciting. You could be out at the client presenting, you could be in production, you can be brainstorming, you can be sitting behind a one-way mirror in a focus group room. It varies, and that's the interesting and exciting thing about
1: this industry. Definitely sounds like a lot of variety. Um- would you say that there is a correct way to do creative direction, or is there kind of more than one way to to work in that position?
2: Well, it depends on also what you call creative direction, because there are a lot of people in this industry who have that title who are still really art directors or copywriters, and a good art director can come up with a great visual and a great uh, um, art director could come up with a great headline. The Chief creative officer and the upper-level creative directors are in many ways also, in a sense, industry marriage counselors. Because what they're doing <laughs> is they're bringing teams together to make those teams and those individuals better. And that's so to bring what, in
1: things like strategy, like um, maybe media, et cetera, is that kind of what you mean?
2: It does keep the uh, copywriters and our directors focused on the strategy Part of what you need to do sometimes is jump away from it so you can get that logical solution for the that's ultimately logically correct but it's also tricking the people into doing better work than they think they can people get used to working at a certain level and a creative director's job is to make them do better than that and think that they can do better than that and help the people come up with ideas and make the people feel like it is their ideas when it is not, and help them feel comfortable coming up with the wild idea when it is.
1: Sure, and how do you do that? How do you work, make someone work above uh, the level they believe they can? Some of that is
2: what do you think would be approved? What do you mean by that? One of the ways of getting people to be better than they are is setting the bar and the exposure to the best advertising. A lot of people work to what they think will get accepted and bought, and if you set the bar higher, they will work higher. Also, when they talk about ideas, how do you help them extend the ideas? How do you help them explore the ideas? Those kinds of things could help people become better than they are as well. Alex Bogusky talked about production as a Pavlov's dog. So. You really want to sell your idea. You want to get it into production. And so people will work towards the level that's set. Mike also, the way he grew and his uh, predecessor at the Martin Agency grew the creative level of work there is knowing that they were in a small market. They did local market advertising that their agency would be exposed to. And when the creatives were exposed to that work, they started aspiring to that work, which then helped them do better work for their national
1: clients. That makes sense. We need to take a break. But when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Larry's other books.
0: Don't go away. George Cast with Tim Barsness. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry radio listeners by going to bit.ly/founderCircle. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you since 2002 topseos.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings let top seos give you peace of mind topseos.com the independent authority on search vendors looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your facebook page imagine facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with Fjordcast, only on Cranberry Radio.
1: Welcome back to Fjordcast. I'm Tim Barsness, and I'm here with Lawrence Minsky from Columbia College. So, Larry, uh, you mentioned your first book. I know you have two other books. Um, I'm curious about uh, the book titled The Activation Imperative. Can you tell tell us a little bit, maybe a brief brief synopsis about that book? Sure.
2: The activation imperative looks at one, how do you drive consumers closer to transaction, both in the B2C and B2B world? Second, by doing that, you need to be able to use the best of all the marketing disciplines and marketing disciplines are growing. So then the question becomes, how do you align all the marketing disciplines? In the traditional, integrated marketing world. You find your message and then you broadcast it out over every medium. Uh, It's been said or called essentially a matching uh, set of luggage. You have the same message just placed out there. But what you really want is the right message at the right time in the right place that will then drive consumers closer to transaction. Muddying this up is the fact that the path to purchase is now nonlinear. linear used to be broadcast, then you go to the store and then you buy, or B2B, it, you run your advertising, you have your sales pre- presentation, then you buy. Now it could be you discover it online and then see the TV commercial, then see it in store. Or you see it in store and then you look it up online and then you buy it online. Or you discover it in store You see the TV commercial, then you come across a story about it. So there's multiple paths to purchase. So you have to figure out what is the most likely one per the target and then get the right message in the right place and align all the messages and still feel branded. And so this helps address that situation and helps marketers figure out how to do it for their organization. Because
1: they're... How do I do that? How do I, um, I guess, you know, when considering a non-linear path to purchase, how do I optimize and make sure the message at each point in that path or, you know, lack of a path, I guess, is relevant to to the audience?
2: Well, first you need to map out the paths or the potential paths, and you find the most likely ones. And the place to start when you're mapping it out and optimizing your message is at the point of transaction. If you improve the point of transaction, then everything beyond it is improved as well. And then you work back and you see what where people tend to go, and then you're able to get the most likely ones. The other way to go is, or in addition to that, is embed data points within your um, messaging to see where people are and with and. You're able to also track from one point to the next to the next, mostly via mobile and social media and such. So then you get a sense of where people go or are most likely to go, and you're able to adjust by there. You might not hit every single path that would probably, in this day and age, be impossible, maybe someday not, but you can get the most likely ones and start getting the right messages that way based on the the subgroups.
1: So, that, that would work in, in digital medium. Um, is there any way to apply that logic to uh, traditional media?
2: Yeah, it, it does work in traditional media as well because you're going to need to um, have both. One, you could embed activation points within the traditional media that um, helps drive them online. So, you're able to see where they came from. There, and, you know, a simple, Coupon would be another way if if somebody goes across a magazine ad and then uh, buy something.
1: Sure. But so you're 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 embedding ways to figure out that information is kind of is that what you were saying? Exactly. You mentioned that uh, the the number of marketing or advertising disciplines is increasing, um, and that agencies need to. Um, I guess, be responsible for most, if not all disciplines um, in order to stay relevant. Um, How do you keep up with the times in that space?
2: Well, one, I don't know if agencies need to be responsible for each discipline. You could be an agency that is great at social media. You just got to acknowledge that there are other disciplines. And then the responsibility actually falls on the marketer to figure out what is the alignment. working with the agencies. The agencies need to be aware of the other disciplines, but we're still going to need the specialists. We're going to need the generalists who could weave these things together, but you're always going to need the others who know the intricacies within that discipline from social, mobile, web, traditional, or I hate the word traditional actually because all media is traditional today, but offline or brand advertising. So, you will need the specialists in those areas, but you also need the others. And that's where the talent uh, drive is going to be in the next coming years is the people who could weave that together who get the bigger picture. Because when you get down in the weeds, you don't get that.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the down in the weeds is slightly becoming commoditized, but understanding how to make it all work together is, um, is becoming the bigger challenge.
2: Yes, and understanding, and you need to be able to bring all the disciplines together. So people who have the best practices in one, it's the generalist who could then figure out how to apply that best practice to another, working in concert with the other discipline. So the the recognition needs to be that every marketer has their own formula. What is the right formula for you? And then figure out the right specialists to bring in
1: for them. Are you you seeing that those marketers that you're speaking of are are typically on the client side?
2: As of now, it tends to fall on the client side. There are some agencies that can do it. What you need to be concerned with when you're on the client side is the biases of the agencies. And if you're really good at social media, and I'm sorry I'm picking on social media, but you know, Just as an example, if you're really good at social media, your examples or your bias would be to emphasize that. If you're really good at brand advertising, your bias would be to emphasize that. So somebody has to figure out what is the right formula for the brand and understand
1: how to get around the biases. Do you think there's room for an agency general contractor?
2: Probably that might be the way to go. Somebody who is more the generalist, and they need to know enough. They need to be really, really detailed in understanding how the different disciplines work. But there could be an outside agency at some point that is specializing in weaving the different disciplines together.
1: Right. I've heard people say that um, if you own the strategy, you own the execution. Uh, It sounds like that model might change over time.
2: It could. You, you need both. And one of those, or ideas that we talk about in the book is you need the overarching brief, but then the brief needs to be customized for the different disciplines, and they need to fall understand where they fall within the path to, typical path to purchase or typical path to purchase.
1: Larry, you mentioned your other book uh, is about audio branding. What's the title of that book?
2: That is the title. Audio branding and the subtitle is using sound to build
1: your brands. Absolutely. And how do you do that?
2: A lot of the model of how to create an audio brand is consistent with how do you create a visual brand? But what a lot of people aren't doing is simply that they're not creating the sound of their brand. And in our book, we say it's the easiest big thing a company can do for a brand.
1: Got it. Um, How do you create the repetition for audio in a brand?
2: It's, again, it's very similar to visual branding. It's under, first you need the core of the brand, the audio DNA, and then from there, you need to understand where, where are the touch points, what are the touch points. The first step in creating an audio brand is really creating a touch point audit. Where would you use the audio brand for your particular product or service? What are the emotional need states in that place? What is your brand about? Or the brand essence, as I like to say or call it. And then you create your audio DNA and that might end up being part of your audio logo think Intel inside, the sound that happens when you see the logo come up. Then you might want to have extended areas for other kinds of things, such as TV, if you're running TV, or video for either corporate videos or online videos, ringtones, pings on your app, It could be in store, what do you want, or the announcements. So it all has to feel consistent and fit together. But then there needs to be enough play to work with the psychological need states of the audience at those points.
1: Absolutely. And the point is, kind of as you were just alluding to, the emotion that the audio invokes, correct?
2: Exactly. Emotion gets integrated faster than... Cognition, and um, there's emotion gets integrated faster than cognition, and there are fewer defenses for emotion, and so people process it faster. It's in a sense a defense mechanism. You're think back and welcome to business intention. Of, Whether you're you an know, entrepreneur, marketing agency, or just days, interested in, you're out on the field and you hear uh, a crack of a log or something, and you have to look around.
1: Larry, how do you create an audio brand? The
2: first step is to do a touch point analysis. Where will people encounter your brand? It could be in a retail environment, it could be a ringtone, it could be a ping of an app, it could be an announcement in a shopping mall, it could be a sales conference in the B2B setting or a trade show. And you need to understand the need states within that. You also need to understand your brand essence or your uh, values, your vision. What do you want to communicate about yourself, ver- uh, sound-wise as well as visually? And then, and then you start with the audio logo, the end, or the audio DNA. What is the core of your brand? And then you might need to extend it out for video or other usages, and um, you implement it just the way you would do in many ways a visual brand. There's obviously more detail to that, but um, which you could get in the book, but a summation of a 220-page book in a minute.
1: obviously that's a, a, a great synopsis um we need to take a break but when we come back we will take a look at the benefits of social selling for b2b and using ai for agency work
0: don't go away george cast with tim barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsors
2: cranberry radio is your new destination for education entertainment
0: and engagement Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker,
2: and Google Play. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Refresh your bookmarks today to cranberryradio at cranberry.fm.
0: Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrands with a Z for eBrands. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with George Cast, only on Cranberry Radio.
1: Welcome back to Fjordcast. I'm Tim Barsness, and I'm here with Lawrence Minsky of Columbia College. Our first story is from the Harvard Business Review uh, titled, How B2B Sales Can Benefit from Social Selling by Larry and his colleague, Keith Quisenberry. Uh, The article explains how B2B sellers can benefit from adding social media to their toolkit. Larry, I'm curious how you're seeing people using social selling for B2B.
2: Well, first of all, people's defense mechanisms are rising. So when was the last time you took a blind sales call and listened to the caller? So traditional sales methods are going out of style, and there's going to be a big disruption in the industry that way. So salespeople need to reach out and reach their prospects. And one way to do it is through the use of social media. But it's also it's about Providing value to the audience. Again, that in a way gets back to the activation imperative because one of the principles we call for is at every touch point that you reach a consumer or a B2B customer, you want to add value with your messaging in some way. The value could be as simple as entertainment or knowledge, and often with social selling, it's knowledge.
1: Got it. I heard you say that um, traditional methods like uh, cold calling are less effective than they used to be. Do you think that is because of the relevance that's provided elsewhere? Or do you think there might be something else impacting um, the effectiveness?
2: Prospects or consumers or customers or whatever you want to call them, people are doing their own research now. By the time they decide that they need to buy something, a lot of times they've researched it. So they don't need somebody calling them up to say, hey, how about this? Or did you check out that? They know. So how do you then sell? The best way is to help prospects understand the issues, set the agenda. And you want to do that early in the funnel, even though I said, you know, people are finding a non-traditional path to purchase, there's still a point where they might not realize that they need something and you're setting the groundwork for it. And that's the best place to be to get in on the conversation early. The way to do that is, is through content and we've seen the growth of content marketing because that answers the call for people doing their own research. Now, as a salesperson, you want to work with the marketing department to distribute the content to your prospects and get the right content to the right people at the right time again.
1: Do you think if you're doing sales correctly this day and age that you're um, you're receiving inbound calls rather than making outbound calls?
2: You're doing both. You're not making blind outbound calls, however. You're maybe sending out content or your company's sending out content where people click on and then you send back something in, in response, so you're starting a conversation with people, or you notice somebody's doing something, and you respond with information saying, did you think about this, or here's something that you might find interesting. So it's done a lot on, on the web, on email, on, on LinkedIn, and other social networks.
1: Absolutely. Um, Our second article today uh, titled How Four Agencies Are Using Artificial Intelligence as Part of the Creative Process. Um, So it outlines agencies using tools like IBM's Watson to create localized and hyper-targeted post-production creative, um, changing things like price, language, and even graphics sometimes. Larry, do do you see AI becoming more widespread in this space?
2: Eventually, yes, Uh, it will be bigger. A lot of it right now from what I got from that article is programmatic buying, and there are lots of issues with that getting the right message in the wrong place. It might be the right place for the prospect, but it's the wrong place for the brand. Context matters.
1: So it's more than just getting the message to the right people. You also have to do it at the right time or through the right medium? Yes,
2: you do have to do it at the right time, and you have to do it at the right place because you don't want your message to be associated with sites or areas that are opposed to what you are as a brand and um, or speak negatively about you as a brand.
1: Absolutely, have you seen that uh, there are platforms taking that into consideration?
2: They're trying and some are doing better than others, but still sites get through new pages pop up. It, as you put a block on one, there's issues with others. So, it, right now, I don't know if they have it figured out or they don't have it figured out. There's caught lots of issues right now with that. On the other side of things within programmatic, we are going to be seeing a rise of programmatic creative development, I believe. And we talk a little bit about this in the Activation Imperative, where inst- and this, instead of developing finished, polished pieces of creative, and you're developing templates. And they get then get assembled per the needs of the individual which this article did get back to as well. And that will be growing as well. But it's not gonna erase the human factor, at least not yet, because machines are not very good at emotion. And we already talked about the power of emotion versus the power of a rational argument. People look for the rational argument many times, oftentimes, after they made the emotional decision to do something, and they're looking for the rationalization, the support on why to do it. You need humans come to the fold for the emotional part of it, at least right now.
1: Absolutely. We're out of time. So that's it for today on Fjorgecast. Uh You can find Larry on Twitter at at Lawrence Minsky. Uh, you can also reach him through Columbia College Chicago's website. And thank you to the listeners for joining us on Fjordcast. You can download episodes of the program by going to cranberry.fm or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and iHeartRadio.